So we're continuing with our conversation about uh, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali in the, in the second chapter, in the middle of the second chapter. And in our last session, we spent some time talking about some different models, some, some ways of looking at how, how kind of how we're operating and what's going on inside and how all this works. And so we had several different models, ways of looking at this. And uh, and it's important for us to remember that these models are representations. Um, it's kind of like the old saying, the map is not the territory. So I remember um, years ago, I went, on a, I, I went on a trip. I took a backpacking trip and I went into wilderness area just south of Yosemite National Park in the Sierra Mountains. And this was wilderness, wilderness. It was trails, but there was no, you know, no near roads or anything. So hiking about eight miles back into the wilderness. And I had one of these forestry service maps that has all the, the little lines that shows where the mountaintops are and what the elevation and, you know, when they're further apart, it's flatter. And when they're closer together, it's steeper. So I had my forestry service map and I had my destination picked out and and after hiking for a couple of hours, I realized that I wasn't really sure if I was on the right trail going in the right direction. I had a compass too. And so I get my forestry service map out. And it turns out that when you're in the middle of a forest with giant redwood trees all around and brush and rivers and, and all this stuff, it's like the map doesn't look anything like where I am. <laughs> there's no it's not there's no you are here marked on it it's it's just a bunch of lines and so so the map is not the territory and the models that we create are symbolic they are they refer to they give us a way of uh, approaching and thinking about and kind of uh, getting in touch with what's happening but it isn't exact it's not like this is you know like this is an exact thing this is it gives us kind of a sense a way of thinking about and a way of appreciating what we're talking about and so so it's always good to remember not to take these things too not to crystallize them too much but rather to use them as uh, as a direction as a symbol as a guide um, so that we can go within ourselves, we can go deeper and we can we can find out we can see what's happening in here we can explore we can experience and we can really own it we can really realize it that is to have knowledge and experience that's what mr davis would say to realize is to have knowledge and experience so so we're getting some knowledge some direction from our models but then the experience comes from being able to move past the model and into the experience and we don't want to let the let the model and these ideas about things get in our way of having the actual experience. So it's good to keep this in balance, you know, just to remember this. So, and uh, at the point where we <clears throat> took a little diversion to talk about all these models, uh, Patanjali had said, um, the suffering that has not yet been experienced is to be avoided, which is, pretty practical <laughs> um, and of course the suffering the pain that has already been experienced in the past there's nothing we can do about that and 
the suffering that we're experiencing in this moment is we're experiencing this is happening but the suffering that's going to happen next in an hour from now tomorrow next week next year the suffering that's has not been experienced yet this we can do something about and and so his suggestion is that we should avoid this so where does the pain and suffering come from well, the basic, you know, we talked about ignorance, not seeing, um, avidya, yeah, wrong knowledge, wrong knowing. Um, the president of the United States calls it fake news. So we have, uh, we have perfect knowledge and understanding that's not right. So that's avidya. This is ignorance. And, and part of our, uh, part of the, the, uh, source of this ignorance is this identification the identification of the essence of our being with this character this you know this role that we're playing this personality and so patanjali says it is the connection between the observer and the phenomenal world connection between the observer and the stuff that's going on around and this is this identification, and this identification then creates the limitation that uh, allows for the suffering and the experience of separation. So the observer becomes identified with what's happening in the world around. And, and so in the observer, in this case, what we're talking about here for, as an observer is the buddhi. So in the last session, we talked about buddhi is this intellect the intellect which the intellect produces something called ahamkara or the eye maker so the intellect the buddhi produces creates this sense of within itself that i am doing this and i am hearing this and i'm thinking about this and i'm having this experience so i i i is the buddhi becoming identified with the character and and assuming this sense of individuality this i okay but it's still the booty it's still the intellect that is making this mistake this identification and so and of course we all know about uh and we all understand at least conceptually that we are uh, characters that we are identified with a role a personality you know the persona is the is the mask is the role that we play the character the character the persona is one that we have created that and when i say we again we're talking about the booty the intellect this i assume these characteristics assume these properties and and become so identified with them. It's so interesting what's going on. This movie of our life, this adventure of a lifetime is so interesting that, that it becomes um, so attractive that we become enchanted. We're sort of under a little magical spell, this enchantment where we feel and we think that all this is real, has some independent reality, independent existence. And so Patanjali says, suggests that it's, um, wise for us to use our discernment to, to uh, develop our powers of discrimination and discernment in order to see what's really happening in order to understand these characteristics and how this 
involvement, how the sense organs become involved with the objects of the senses. And this is where this enchantment takes place. So we can, we can imagine, for example, um, that we have, you know, that the bottom of our foot is tender, is sensitive, and if we step on a thorn, it'll hurt. We'll have, we'll have a problem. We'll have suffering. And so we can discern, we can discriminate the bottom of the foot. That's, that's one part. There is the object, which is the thorn. That's another part. And there is the stepping, which is the third aspect. So there is the, the sense, there is the object of the sense, and there is the action between them. And we can, instead of having this be one thing, we can discern and discriminate. And of course, in the process of, of de deconstructing it in this way, we see that, okay, um, the way I avoid suffering is to not step on the thorn or to put some shoes on. So, so I see, discern, discriminate the difference between the senses, between the objects of the senses, and between the actions that are happening between these. And so this is part of our discipline, part of our process of becoming mindful and being aware and being conscious of what it is that's happening. And the interaction between the senses and the objects of the senses, these interactions can either be um, supportive of more enchantment, of deeper, uh, you know, deep, falling deeper under the spell, more and more experience, or the observation of this can be the, the tool that we can use for waking up, for liberation. So we observe what's happening, and through discernment and discrimination, we come, become more aware of what's happening and how everything works and what the nature of everything is and what the nature of us is. And through this discernment and discrimination, we're able to disconnect the, the compulsion. We're able to disconnect the, the uh, addictions and the attachments and the behaviors and all these things that all seem to be hanging together, stuck together, but when we step back and look at them and examine them and use the powers of discrimination, then we're able to see the nature of these things and we're able to use the, our understanding to create and support our discipline to be able to come, become free, to be able to disconnect ourselves from, uh, from these objects. So, so the observer is the subject and the objects that are being observed. These are, this is, these are the objects. We have this subject object relationship. So we, so the booty, this intellect is the observer. This is what's having this adventure. This is what I am doing. The booty is observing and it's observing the, objects so we have this subject object relationship and and the the uh, seer the subject identifies itself with what's going on with the object okay so we have the ability then to to notice to see this uh, experience this subject object relationship and then to come back to this uh, more subtle level, this sort of dispassionate, slightly disconnected level where we're aware that we are ob observing. There's like another level where we're observing, 
we are the observer, but we're also observing the process of this subject-object relationship. So, I mean, to make this practical, um, you know, you decide to you decide to do something, and then you notice that you've decided to do something. You know, you're you're doing something, and at the same time, you're kind of in the back. You're aware of what you're doing. Um, you, you sit to meditate and you turn your attention within and there's part of you that knows that your attention is not staying focused, that your, you know, thoughts are coming and going, you're distracted. So there's this aspect of buddhi, the, the witness or the uh, discerning intellect aspect that is noticing the part of it that is identified with the objective world. And when we sit to meditate, um, in the beginning, it's this observer, this the booty, the intellect that discerns the difference between awareness and identification. That that discerns the difference between I am being and being fully engaged and watching these thoughts come and go and these impulses rise and fall. So it is the this intellect that we use to be able to discern the difference between subject-object relationship and awareness. So this is, this is what's happening when we sit to meditate is it's really happening in the beginning is all happening in the intellect, in the booty. So we ask ourselves, for example, people used to come to Ramana Maharshi and they would say, Master, I'm having this terrible problem. I'm so afraid. I don't know what's going to happen next. And, uh, and I have these anxiety and I can't sleep. And, and he would, his response would be, um, well, who is it that notices that you're having this anxiety? How do you know you're having anxiety? How do you know you're afraid? Well, this is the, this is the part behind the scenes. This is this this awareness, this intellect within that knows what's happening. So on one level, we're acting and we're doing, and on another level, we are observing and witnessing. So, um, so the phenomenal world, it is, it is said in this philosophy, the phenomenal world, all the things that are happening, that we're engaged in, all of this um, really exists only in relation to the observer of the things that are going on. So what's happening in the world, our experience of the world is real to us because the senses present the picture, they present the image, they bring this information and image back into us. And the relationship between these two things is what keeps this image in this world together, keeps it real. And as we, as we, um, like when we sit and meditate and we disconnect, we pull the senses back in and we're no longer paying attention to what's happening in the world around us, that relationship dissolves. So as we become more and more interiorized, the phenomenal world becomes less and less relevant until we finally come to the place where we are we are grounded, we are resting in awareness, in, 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 uh, as the witness, as the seer, and the rest of the world, it's not there for us. It's still there for everybody else. You know, as long there are um, seven and a half billion other people and a lot of, uh, out here, some squirrels and some cardinals and some crows that are all observing 
this reality and relating to it. So the world exists um, for all those that are participating. But as we withdraw our senses and our awareness, then it's no longer relative to us. It ceases to be relevant. So, and, and, um, so in this way, we can, we can notice what's, we can notice this process. We notice what's happening. And then as we go deeper into our meditation, as we sit as the seer, as the witness, so we've come into this more subtle level and it's, it, you know, it's subtle means quiet. The signal is very, very quiet. Then there is this, this next level behind that that is purusha, that is pure awareness. And this is not identified. This is not involved. This never changes. It doesn't uh, have any agendas. It doesn't have any memories. It is just pure awareness. And this pure awareness um, is shining in the booty, is illuminates the booty, makes the, is, is what activates and makes the booty what it is. So it only exists, the intellect only exists as a reflection of this pure awareness. And the pure awareness is seeing the reflection in the intellect, seeing the reflection of this whole adventure of a lifetime. So 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 as we sit and become quiet as we're able to as we're able to allow the thoughts to subside allow the mind to come clear rest as the seer as the witness then we begin to have this uh this transcendent experience where there is no longer a seer there's no longer anything to be seeing there is only existence being this is this is the transcendent part so we move from being the seer, the observer, the witness, to being consciousness. And this is very subtle. I mean, and, and of course, this is what we are all the time. So we're not trying to become something, trying to improve anything. We're simply turning down the volume, turning down the distractions to the place where we can rest in this experience, have this realization, this experience of being that is our our true nature but again the signal is very quiet i remember many years ago i built a house uh, out in the woods um which was a wonderful experience and and uh, we were kind of on the side of a mountain and there was a big ridge in front of the house that had was covered with rhododendron and and it was you know beautiful and very peaceful and quiet idyllic um but the one challenge was that because we had this big ridge in front of us and this big mountain up behind us, um, that we weren't able to get television reception. And of course, you know, that's important. So, um, so I had this little television with these rabbit ears antenna on it. And, and I discovered that at night, after a certain time, that if I put the rabbit ears up in a certain direction and then put some aluminum foil on one of the rabbit ears and had another piece of metal sticking out at just the right angle and it was, you know, within one degree, had to be just the right angle, that I could get this picture that was kind of full of static, but I could see what was happening in here, kind of, the program. And so 
it's kind of like that. We go into meditation and there's so much static and so much noise and we have to get the antenna lined up just right. We have to get just that right angle. And then we begin to have this program. We begin to have this realization. We begin to have this experience of, uh, of awareness that, that is, doesn't have a location. There, there's not a place that, that we can pinpoint that I am. This is kind of non-local. Uh, and it doesn't have a size. And it's, it, is, it is just pure awareness. And so, so our experience becomes one where we are able to first um, move our attention more and more to the witness, to being the observer of what's happening in the mind and the senses and all this. And then allowing, once we, we, we can get ourselves really um, grounded in that observer, then this experience of transcendence, we begin to become sensitive. We begin to feel that program that's coming through the static and begin to feel and realize this self with a capital S, our soul nature, that is percolating through. And so it's useful for us, again, to, to notice this and to be cognizant of um, how easy it is to be enchanted, you know, this, how much, how much power this enchantment has over us, how strong this enchantment is and how easy it is for our attention and our awareness to be, to get involved, you know, to be back under a spell once again. So uh, I remember Roy telling the story about the, about the monk, the young monk who's uh, only, only dream, only desire was to become self-realized, was to know God. And so, and so his guru said, okay, well, I'll support you in that. And what I want you to do is to go off into the woods by yourself and just be there and just be quiet and sit and meditate. And when you're not meditating, um, you know, be open and be aware and be mindful and, and just be alone, be by yourself. So this monk went off and he had nothing, brought nothing. He had the loincloth that he was wearing and he had a second loincloth so he could wash one. He had one to wear and one that he could wash that day. And, and so he's sitting in meditation and he finishes a meditation from the afternoon and goes to get his second loincloth off the, off the branch that he's hung it on to dry. And he notices that it has a hole in it. And it turns out that he watches and he notices and he sees that there's a mouse that runs out and is munching on his loincloth. And he thinks, well, that's, you know, I don't have much and if I'm not mindful. If I don't pay attention and pretty soon I'm not going to even have a loincloth. So, uh, so he decides he needs to get a cat to take care of getting rid of the mouse. So that the mouse, so the mice is, mice aren't a problem. So, so he gets a cat and, um, and the cat takes care of the mice, but then, then he realizes, well, the cat needs to be, besides scaring the mice away, the cat needs to be fed and it needs some milk. And so, so then he has to, then he figures, well, I have to get milk for the cat, so I have to go and get a, get a cow. And so then he has a cow to get the milk to take care of the cat. And, and then he realizes that the cow is kind of a distraction from his sadhana, so he arranges for, a young boy from the village to come and stay with him to take care of the cow. And of course, with the 
young boy there, um, the boy can't just live by himself. He needs to have a mother or somebody to help take care of him. So, so the monk has to build a little house and, and get a woman to come take care of the boy who's taking care of the cow, who's feeding the cat. Uh, and they have to have a little garden to produce some food. And so one day the guru comes walking by and he comes to where his, you know, where his disciple is supposed to be meditating quietly and here's this house and a garden and a cow and a woman and a kid and he says what happened <laughs> and how did you know how did we get this far away from our intention it's a slippery slope we start with one little thing and that leads to another and leads to another and the next thing we know we turn around and we look back and we go wow how did i get here how you know how did this happen it's not it's not a big giant change it's a little change and a little change and a little change and and so if we're not paying attention to the direction we're going and how things are changing then you know we find ourselves you know with the cat and the cow and the woman and the house and um and we're not living on purpose we're not um, living in harmony with what our intention is Tanjali goes on and says that we can eliminate this enchantment this ignorance that comes we can eliminate this with focused discrimination so so he's so his next uh, next sutra says focused discrimination is how we eliminate this ignorance the ignorance of identification with the objects of the senses so we pay attention. Discrimination, discernment means that we're looking at what's happening and coming into a realization. So we're able to move past um, past this false identification, this sense of identification with matter, this sense that I am the character. So the character is, you know, we've created this character, but it's like uh, for an actor on a stage, we put on the costume and we, you know, assume the persona and we go out and we act and do our thing. But all the time that we're acting, we know I'm not Shakespeare. You know, I'm not the King Henry the eighth. I'm not this character. I am playing the role of this character, but I always know behind that, that I'm me, I'm the actor. And so, so this false sense of identification with matter we we overcome that with discernment and discrimination and recognize that i that the that the observer the witness is noticing this interaction between the ahamkara the eye maker and the senses and their objects so we have this uh this identification this movement back and forth between awareness which is reflected in buddhi which is um, the seer, the master, and we have the relationship with prakriti, which is matter, which is shakti, which is energy, which is power. So we have this relationship between the the, the master and the slave, the power between the the ahamkara, I mean between the the buddhi and the shakti. So we have this relationship, this interaction that's going on, and the identification is what creates limitation and what results in ignorance if we're not uh, discerning, if we're not mindful. Of course, when we are discerning, when we do see the nature of how this works, 
This affords us the ability to not be identified. And if we're not identified, then we're not limited. Then we're not compulsive. Then we're not addicted. Then we're not habituated. Then we're not doing what we're doing because of the, the vasanas, the impulses, because of karma, because of the influence of the gunas. So we no longer are the effect. We're no longer subject to these things when we're able to see clearly what's really going on here and then live consciously, live mindfully. How do we live consciously? Well, remember this identification of the, of the I with the senses and the objects of the senses. This is all this ignorance, this illusion. So when we're really discerning and really awake, we see that life is happening. It's happening as me and it's happening through me. And I'm just sort of going along for the ride. And Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, I of myself do nothing. I of myself do nothing. And nothing remains undone. So, so life is unfolding and I am part of this unfoldment. An integral, intimate part. But, it's, but I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. Life is in control. Prana, life force is moving as me and through me. God is expressing as me and through me. And so, so I do, I am given, I'm invited to participate. And I'm given through intuition. Um, I'm given the direction on what it is to do, what I'm, what I'm here to do, how I can participate, what is my purpose. Um, and by, um, by listening to the invitation, by following my intuition and doing what is in front of me to be done without being concerned about whether it's going to work, without worrying about the, the, the results, you know, what's going to happen as a result of what I'm doing. I'm not in control. I don't know. All I know is that I got the message. I got the direct message. I got the impulse to do, to, to act, to engage, to serve. And so I do that. And the rest of it, I, I let go. I recognize the, the amazing, beautiful dance that is this life. It's all, it's all just working. You see, there is an intelligence, this intelligence that is in me that expresses as me. And there is this intelligence that is expressing as everything else. Prakriti, the manifest universe, Shakti moving in the world is uh, has its own order and its own intelligence, um, and and we are participating in it. So in our process of um, of learning, of discerning, discriminating, in the process of this, uh, we become more and more sensitive to, more and more aware of how this is working and how we are, uh, you know, invited to participate in life and how life is working as us and through us. And how we are not separate from it, but we are it. See, we are we are God's way of having this adventure. And it's just like the, you know we can be we can uh, put on the costume and become an actor, and get up on the stage, and and we are sort of the way that God is getting on the stage of this manifest universe. So it is here as us through us, not separate, and this and we can. Uh, reduce this identification which is 
illusory, this identification, and allow ourselves to wake up, to realize. The identification uh, in, in Sanskrit, the, the, the yogis have a word for this, it's called maya. Maya is um, said to be the sense of illusion, that is the illusory uh, expression or the, the illusory experience that all this has some independent reality. So maya is um, form building, it builds form, that is it, it builds the structure and the objects and everything is made out of this maya. And as it makes these forms, as we see the forms and see the objects around us, um, we have this sense of, of separation there. It's I am seeing this object. And so Maya is not only form building, but it is truth veiling. It is now there's this sense of subject and object, which is not true. This is illusory. It's only one thing. But now that it looks like there's a separation, this is the illusion. So Maya is said to be form building and truth veiling. And the same word Maya comes to, is the same root word as the word magic. So there is a magic, you know, this magical spell that is the world that we're involved with. Maya is also the same root word that, that uh, expresses as mother. So mother, Maya is the mother, is that which everything expresses out of this sense of illusion. And Maya is also the root word for the word measure, meter. So this comes from Maya, to measure the difference between things, to see this thing as opposed to that thing. Instead of oneness, instead of one expressive reality, we carve the world up into pieces you know, and as soon as we have all these little pieces, these little objects, then we can have some that we prefer and some that we don't prefer. We can, um, you know, go for the strawberry ice cream and leave the pistachio alone. We can we carve the world up into pieces, and the and the measurement, the dis, the uh, judgment, the criticism that we have, the critical analytical uh, sense that we have about the differences between things make this more crystallized and you know more it helps to support the magical spell maya and we become very uh very very uh, uh tied up in it uh, i remember when i was a child we had this uh, uh there was uh some stories that came from uh that were called uncle remus stories and uncle remus stories was like the old deep south and these are kind of the southern mythology and and so one of these, one of the stories was about uh, Br'er Rabbit. And Br'er Rabbit, you know, he was kind of a cocky little thing. And um, and one day he's walking down the pathway, and on a bench next to the path is a tar baby. That's a a little, you know, baby like a doll that's made out of tar. And so Br'er Rabbit goes walking by the bench, and he looks over and he says, "Hello, sir. How are you doing?" And of course, the tar baby is made out of tar. It doesn't say anything. And Br'er Rabbit stops and he says, I, I said hello to you, sir. You're being rude. So, you know, you can at least acknowledge me. The tar baby just sits there. It's just a tar baby. And so Br'er Rabbit starts to get upset and he goes, hey, you know, this is really rude and I'm this is not acceptable. And he goes over and kind of gets in the face of this tar baby and the tar baby is just sitting there. And so 
the so Br'er Rabbit gets so excited and so upset that he smacks the tar babies, punches them. And of course, the tar is soft and it's warm out there. And so his fist gets stuck in the tar baby. And so, and so Br'er Rabbit's going, oh, let me go, let me go. So he hits him with his other hand and now they're both stuck. And so then he pushes his foot up and tries to push it away. And the next thing, he's all tied up in this ball of tar. He's got himself totally um, involved with, totally stuck in the tar baby, you see? And, and and this is what we do. We we you know grab onto some or attached to something. We get attached to it or we push it away one way or the other. And the more attention we give to it, the more we get stuck in it, and the more it you know consumes us. So so discernment, discrimination says, observe what's happening. Observe these processes. See how you get hooked into things. Notice attachments, notice aversions, uh, discern and discriminate between the, the witness, the seer, and the, the object, the subject and the object. Notice the difference between the senses and the objects of the senses and the relationships between them. See, And in this way, we were able to wake up, we're able to allow our discernment and discrimination to become stronger so we exercise this like we like a muscle and it becomes stronger and it becomes more effective and um, and through discernment and discrimination it actually gets purified we were able to to uh, experience the booty purifying itself through this process and and then then in time we're able to to really uh, sort of disconnect ourselves, that is to liberate ourselves from being controlled by all these external things. We can live consciously, mindfully, and we can we can uh, experience in the way that that we'll talk about tomorrow, which is the beginning of the yamas and the niyamas. We can experience life um, totally liberated, totally free. Moksha, this liberation while being incarnated. So we are no longer the effect of what's happening around us. We're no longer the effect of the senses. We're no longer effect of the objects. We're no longer effect of the ideas, the concepts, um, and, and concepts, ideas that you know these can become objects too, and they can dominate our awareness and they can get us really engaged. So, you know, we have a concept like. Uh, like the United States or Germany or Italy, we have a concept. This, there is no actual physical entity that is this. There's somebody drew some lines on the map, you know, made an imaginary boundary on the, on the planet and then created a concept, an idea about what that means. And uh, everybody agrees with that concept. So now the attention is all going to this idea of the United States and it, it takes on a personality. It becomes a thing because it's being fed. The idea is being fed with the attention and the agreement. And so this, this thing now begins to not only have a personality, but it, it kind of has a mind of its own and it starts to become, it starts to possess all the individuals that are agreeing to it. So, so 
so uh, so concepts uh you know the economy you know it's another one that that what is an economy you know bring one out here and show it to me you know let's (laughs) let's have lunch and sit next to the economy it's it's an idea it's a concept but the concept gets attention and we put our attention we identify with this and then then we have to worry about the economy and the economy becomes a thing it becomes a, a, a persona you see and that persona then has we have to deal with so this is so we have to be careful and we have to notice the reality of what's really going on here and you know how do i interact and relate and uh experience um, this life and especially to be able to experience to kind of di- get disentangled from the tar baby and be able to experience my nature you know i am awareness i am consciousness that is having the opportunity to have this amazing adventure of life on the planet and and so you know we can uh, we can really uh, engage and be be conscious of this oh and i also wanted to mention too that you know the 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 information that's coming in all this information that comes through our senses is so filtered you know i talked yesterday about how how um limited the senses are with respect to how much they're actually able to perceive of what's going on in the world how much the mind brain is contributing to making up the reality that we're experiencing that we think we're in the middle of so um so so much so much is happening and so much is uh, uh available to be experienced and and we really can get stuck in the illusion that things are in a certain way when they're really not when we really and so so it's it's kind of useful um and i think i gave the example before you you know you can close one eye or hold one hold your hand over one eye and then look off in the distance just find a point off in the distance and then hold your finger up and then slowly move your finger across your field of vision just keep focusing off in the distance but notice your finger and when it gets to about 15 degrees from dead center your finger will disappear it just goes away so you just slow look off in the distance and then just slowly move your finger across and and there's a point where no finger wow so what's happening what's happening is there is a, a part of the eye the fovea the little the little uh, pocket at the bo- at the back of the eye where the optic nerve connects up and there are no rods and cones in that little part right in the middle of the eye there's no way to perceive to receive anything so so the place where your finger disappears is called the blind spot but you don't notice the blind spot because your brain fills in the details it makes up the part where your finger should be and it fills it in it, it just creates it out of nothing and and you know and if that's not strange enough um the part of the eye that's able to actually perceive detail and color is this little teeny part in the center 
and and we look around and we see the world is full of color and it's full of detail and all this is happening but you, we're not actually getting it you know that doesn't come through the eyes because we don't have the sensors for that the brain makes it up so our eyes are constantly jiggling around a little bit they're constantly moving and the part that we're not actually the part that we're looking at we see detail and motion and, and all that and the rest of it is an Im, imprint is given to us as a construct that the brain is putting together and feeding us so it's like uh it's like uh if you if you ever you know if you want to look at this more the the way that uh, videos come if you watch a movie um in order to keep the bandwidth down so that the so that the you know there's enough uh enough energy enough information can come through the the uh, pipe to be able to get the video to play on your screen so what they do is they the the there's an algorithm that looks at the picture and it sees like in back of me there's a bookcase and there's a couple of doors and the bookcase and the doors nothing on this ever moves you have not seen any <clears throat> any motion on this so in a movie what they, what they would do what what happens is it just keeps feeding the same picture for all the parts of the picture that are not moving it just keeps feeding the same thing and the only thing that's changing in the information that's coming in are the parts that are changing so whatever is moving wherever there's a lot of action and a lot of moving then that takes a lot more bandwidth and a lot more information but the rest of it the sky and the clouds and the telephone pole over here all that it's not giving it's not refreshing that every moment that's that's uh that's part of the filtering way that they're able to to stream movies um and another example is the uh, uh, motion pictures you know movies so a movie is made of a bunch of still images a picture and in you know you take a snapshot picture another picture another picture and so so this stream of still images of pictures when we show it in quick succession uh the mind makes up the space in between and it makes it look like smooth motion so you see the race car going down the track and it's seamless but this race car going down the track is really made of 24 pictures every second they've figured out that at 24 frames per second um there's enough enough lag in the optic network to be able to get create the illusion of of smooth motion so so here we are this is another illusion so we see a movie which is a bunch of still pictures but it all gets blended together by the brain by the mind and the brain and serves us an image of reality that is illusory see so there's so much of you know so much of this and of course yogananda was fond of using the the motion picture analogy he said you know here we have the the flickering images and each one of these little pictures is a, is a like a like a slide and the slide is being has a a projecting beam that goes through it and projects the picture up on the wall or up on the screen so we're looking at the screen and we're 
engaged in the movie and having, you know, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and it's all really wonderful. Um, but what we're identified with on the screen is the result of the images that are being projected that's on the film back here. So this is the, this is where the real work is being done. And even that doesn't, can't do anything, is not creating anything without the, the light, without the beam behind it. So it is the light reflecting or projecting through the film that creates the image that we become identified with. And it is the light of Purusha, the light of awareness that is reflected in Buddhi that creates this illusion of this life. You know, So that's something to think about until tomorrow. So any questions or? I do no? have a question, can I ask? I actually have two questions. Okay. Uh, the first one, is what is the difference between intuition and discernment? Okay. Discernment is seeing the difference between what's real and what's not real. Discernment is seeing the difference between what's real and what's not real, is being able to see the difference between, um, between that which is never changing and that which changes. So the, between what's true and what's not true. So this is discernment. Intuition is is knowing. This is knowing by knowing. So there is like there is like um, this awareness, this knowledge that is that we have access to. So we can ask ourselves a question: What am I? And then and then if we sit with that, this knowledge, this information, this experience will come to us. So discerning is looking at the difference between things. And intuition is allowing ourselves to have this information, this knowledge, this awareness that bubbles up from within. And intuition isn't all, it doesn't always have an object. It doesn't always have to have to be about something. We ask ourselves, what is my nature? And then, and then this intuition provides us with the, the awareness, but that awareness is not uh, not in terms of discriminating or discerning between things. It is an awareness that is a realization that comes from within. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank you. And the other question was, just to understand if I got it right, um, buddhi, uh, which is the intellect, is able to, it's like, it's like in the middle. And there is on one Opposite, there is the awareness that is able to um, enlighten the buddhi. But on the other hand, on the other opposite, we have manas, we have the mind. And mm. the buddhi is able to either identify with manas or with the enlightening affect of our awareness, isn't, isn't it? Not exactly. A, a, a subtle difference. So if we say... Uh, Purusha, which is awareness. So here we have uh, pure awareness, which um, has an expressive aspect we call Prakriti. So this is the materializing, the expressing aspect. And over here, awareness, it, it's, it never changes. It's just what it is. It's just aware. So in this expressive aspect in Prakriti, we first have the gunas, 
And then the gunas, as they come together and start to move, they produce buddhi. Actually, the first is, is called mahat, which is, uh, is like the universal buddhi. So this, so this first expression is the intellect, is buddhi. Discerning, discriminating, and it actually, it actually, there are actually, it has some, some attributes even to that. You know, it has an attribute of whether it's dharmic or adharmic. In other words, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of its nature tends to be cooperating or coming across purposes. It feels empowered or disempowered. It feels attached. There's these tendencies even at the level of the booty. But, um, but the booty then expresses it moves into expression as the ahamkara it it, it then assumes this i-ness so out of booty comes i and then out of i the i that is identified or that is uh, affected by sattvas becomes the object becomes the senses the, the the five senses and the tamas becomes the objects so we have this materialization. So it comes from from buddhi into uh, ahamkara, into the uh, the eye, to the manas and mind, then into the senses. So this is kind of the, the 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 chart here. Over on the side here, all the time is purusha, is the is awareness. So in buddhi, this discerning, discriminating is able to discern the difference between its its nature as the seer and its identification with the senses and the mind and all the stuff. So this is happening in the booty. Meanwhile, Purusha is just Purusha. And so in, in Sankhya philosophy, it says that everything that's happening in Prakriti, everything that's happening in this expressive aspect, exists solely for the benefit, solely for the enjoyment of Purusha. So Purusha is like, like the audience to this whole drama that's going on. And Buddhi is able to, it, it, it becomes more subtle as we put our attention and discern. It begins to notice that, uh, you know, oh, this is what's happening here. And, and so it is reflecting Purusha and Purusha's reflection activates this and allows all this to happen. And at the same time, it reflects back to Purusha all the happening. Is that, does it, it, these things are worth thinking about. <laughs> so does that help? Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. All right. So that's good. Uh, so if there's nothing else. I'm just, today, uh, just, just a small question. When um, Arjuna asked Krishna, to show him the vastness of poor, uh, pure consciousness. Did he saw it with his senses or did he saw it with his soul? <clears throat> the question is because I think what you described before, uh, as, as human beings, we have senses to realize the world. Um, and this must be always limited. Mm. So to see really the um, vastness of pure consciousness. Um, I think the senses wouldn't be able to do this anyway. We just yeah. have to uh, see with the soul or something else. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, and, 
Yes. Um, yeah, this is not, this experience is, is so far beyond the senses. And we say, you know, that it is seeing this and it is experiencing this. But remember, you know, we're trying to describe an experience. We're trying to describe, you know, we're, we're back into the symbols again. We're back into the representation. We're back into the map, to the model. And, and of course, the model is not the territory. So when we start talking about these experiences in subtle dimensions, um, you know, this is beyond our ability to think about and to, of course, for the senses to be able to appreciate and even to be able to create a context and a model to even try to describe it you know, is, is really a stretch. So, so yeah, this is, you know, we can't get there through the senses. This is an experience in, uh, in another, you know, dimension, if you will. It's like, you know, our physicists, yeah. And it's like our physicists say, you know, this is one of the theories of subatomic particles that they're made of super strings, these little vibrating strings, these rubber band strings of energy that come together and make quarks and hadrons and whatever. And, and these little, um, these, these little pieces, these little wiggly super strings exist in 10 dimensions. So, and, but six of those dimensions don't express. So there's, so we have a, a reality that is made of 10 dimensions and we're only sensitive. We can only perceive four dimensions. And there's these other six dimensions that are baked into our reality that we have. There's no way to sense them. I mean, we, we, they have mathematics to talk about, you know, to explain, well, this is, this is how we think it all works. But as far as having a direct perception and an experience of dimensions beyond the four that we're uh, used to, you know, impossible. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about these things, we're talking about, um, you know, trying to relate to experiences and dimensions that are extremely subtle and profound. And, you know, all we can do is, is listen to, listen to the guidance that says, if you do this and this and this, if you follow this recipe, you will be able to have the experience. And once you have the experience, you'll know, Mm -hmm. you know, all right. Thank you. And so, uh, so let's go have a, another wonderful uh, dance around the floor here and enjoy the day and have some lunch or dinner wherever we are and, uh, and be joyful. And I'll see you tomorrow. Namaste.